Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to No Sleep. Today, we're going to be talking about social movements in the United States. We're going to talk about their history, their ability to affect change, and the power of young people who today we call millennials play in the success or failure of a social movement. And I am your host, Shandrea Washington, and I have my co-host here with me today. General hey, it's Matiano. Hey, you too. <laughs> Good to hear from you two again. I want to start off tonight by asking you two to explain what comes to mind when I say or when you hear the phrase social movement. Is it a particular event? Is it a point in history? Is it a particular leader? What do you think of when you hear that phrase? First thing comes to mind for me when I hear social movement is civil rights movement. That was the first thing that popped in my head. I know it wasn't the first social movement, but, you know, for me, from my perspective, that was the first thing that popped up for sure. Yeah, I thought of that too. And the Black Lives Matter movement, that was like the second one I thought about. That really just popped into my head and that really stood out to me, especially in this generation too, with everything that's been going on. Yeah, those were definitely two things that I that popped into my mind when I immediately thought about it and just the connections over time, even though it seems as if the two take place at separate times in history, you can see how one is just a continuation of what was started decades ago and shows the work that still needs to be done. But when I looked at it, when I just to Google the definition and it said that it was basically just a group of people organizing around a movement and a goal. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a just one particular goal or just one, you know, cohesive group. It's very loosely defined and it doesn't even always mean that the cause that everybody's getting behind is positive. And so I just wanted to, I guess, just take a look at some of the social movements that, or really the start at the history of social movements in the United States, because the United States itself was founded on a social movement, on the principle of no taxation without representation. If it weren't for, you know, people banding together and deciding that they wanted to be free from Europe, to be their own country and not have to, you know, pay taxes to people who don't represent them, which is something that's still going on today within United States history. But we, it, it all started at social movements. And we see a different part of that history now that we're, centuries removed from it, you know, you have shows that kind of undermine the narratives that we've heard about it being so cohesive and everybody being very patriotic, but it remains to stand that, you know, we wouldn't exist as a, whatever we are as far as united front had we not somehow come together for those things. And what 
what role do you think history plays in in social movements, or are there any particular historical events that you may think of as a social movement, or I don't know, just what what is your perspective of history and social movements within the context of the United States? I think uh, you kind of hit the, the nail on the head, Sandra, when you said that the United States was kind of based on social movements. Um, if you think of, you know, just a recent history, or not super recent history, but, you know, uh, freeing of slaves, I think that was a social movement that kind of separated the North and the South. Uh, tons mm-hmm. of political movements that's kind of molded our uh, government and legislature today. Um, you get into kind of like the last century, um, civil rights movements, those types of things where, you know, black people were fighting for rights. All these types of things were like pivotal uh, in the United States history. And I think uh, millennials in today's age, I think are just continuing, like you said, um, some of the social movements that were started, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And I uh, would assume that, you know, 50, 60 years from now, some of those same movements might have, different names, but, you know, pretty much the same purpose and will just be a continuation uh, of the last one. Um, yeah, I agree with Norvell. With the civil rights movement, it's so broad because so much happened, you know, with protests, with sittings, with different things, marches and everything. So that's really broad. And, like, I agree, like, a whole lot of stuff is repeating itself. So now, even today, you see the same things going on with marches and protests and everything taking place. Yeah, you definitely do. That's another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about, how social movements kind of evolved over the years, you know, with evolution and technology of course, came the ability to spread information more quickly and to get more people behind a cause. And that has gone from, like, small grassroots, you know, like community-type organizing amongst towns and villages and neighborhoods and things like that and has grown to this mass, mass massive social media platform that with a hashtag you can be a part of something that's much larger than yourself. How do you think technology has factored into social movements? Do you think that being able to just join a movement with a hashtag is enough or do you think that or not not that it's enough but do you think that it shouldn't stop at just a hashtag or do you feel like just the fact that people are able to receive awareness about these issues by following a hashtag that it represents a milestone in where we've come? I think technology um, is a really good thing for social movements, but I definitely think that you can't stop at just a hashtag because real things need to be done. And I don't think you can stop at just protesting. I don't even believe in protesting without a purpose. I don't think if you're not, I, I think if you're not strategic with what you're protesting, then you won't get anything done. You won't be working towards your goals. 
Um, and then you get a lot of mayhem, like looting and riots and stuff like that. Like that's not beneficial for anyone. Um, and it's pointless. You know, it really takes away from your social movement. And uh, I think if you protest with a purpose, like Dr. King did, you know, uh, during the Civil Rights Movement, you can really get some stuff done. You know, he had a seat at the table with the president, you know, to really talk about legislation and, you know, kind of what we can do uh, to change the way things are, are, are done in the United States. And I think that you really have to focus on your purpose and your goals. We were talking about just being active on the Internet or social media or even getting out there and protesting. Like, it all has to be, you know, working for, for uh, the point of reaching your goal, or it's just kind of null and void. And even though, you know, like a hashtag is helping and you're kind of part of the movement, I don't I don't think it's enough. We really need people to get out there and do a little bit more, you know. A hashtag kind of means nothing. But that That's just my perspective. No, I agree with that. I feel like a hashtag is definitely not enough. Um, I believe that social media kind of makes it better now or easier to kind of get the word out. Like somebody can make a hashtag and then boom, the word's out. But I also feel that like what Norell said about Martin Luther King, like he protested with the purpose. But I also feel like now you can just say hashtag, you know, boycott this place or hashtag protest this place. And then two days later, you know, you're back at that place or something like that, or you're back eating at that restaurant, you're back sitting with some people or talking to whoever was supposed to boycott a protest. And I feel like back in the day, they really had purpose and they really stuck to what they were protesting, what they were boycotting, and they stuck together. Yeah, I definitely agree with both of you on that. I'm, I'm trying my hand in this whole, you know, community activism thing now and being out in the community more to learn more information about different causes that affect people within my community just because I felt like, you know, sharing some information through an article wasn't enough. Like, I need to show my face. It's not just this isn't the type of situation where I can just sit at home any longer and just share something. I need to be there. I need to be a part of the decision-making process. You know, I need to know what the goals of these organizations and institutions are for the issues that we have within our communities. And so I definitely agree. You have to have a purpose for your protest and or else it's just going to be just very chaotic. And I don't know, like even in today's movements, a lot of movements are criticized for the, the factions that form within the groups. For instance, um, say looking at the Black Lives Matter movement, Black Lives Matter was started by black queer or queer black or queer people of color who were of the transgender community who all knew the importance of banding together and organizing people so that the word could get out, so that people could get fired up, so that we could come together as a community and demand that injustices no longer happen to us and just get brushed over. But within the movement itself, there 
the question is always asked, well, do black gay lives matter? You know, do black atheist lives matter? What type of black life matters? And sometimes the main message of the group can tend to be exclusive to other communities who are a part of the broader thing that you are calling, you know, black, under the umbrella black or under the umbrella woman, you know. And this happens in different types of movements, such as the environmental movement and how badly it's affecting poor people or whether or not this is going to be a rich person's issue and who's going to be affected by all of this. And there are always like your elitists and your oppressors within any movement. And I guess for, for all of that, I just want to get to the point of what you think are some of the problems in today's movements that need to be addressed so that we can protest with purpose. I think they should be more organized. You know, I know when certain movements get so large, they have to, follow like a chapter uh, I guess make up where it's different chapters in different cities different states those types of things to, to really stay organized but I think organization is is best is key you know there's people that say they're a part of the Black Lives Matter movement and probably don't even know you know how it originated they've probably never been to a meeting you know they're just active on social media using the hashtag for show uh, I think any social media, so, social movement really requires organization so that you can align um, on the things that you're going to be doing to work towards your goals, uh, whatever that may be. I, I think that's a huge part of it. I think there's a lot of people in the United States that want to do a lot of good, but they're working by themselves or in silos or with, you know, a select group of people um, when, you know, it really needs to be kind of like a, uh, meeting other minds so people can come together and, and really talk about, you know, the issues and get everything on the table and get organized. If not, you know, we're all just kind of like working against each other instead of, uh, you know, really coming together and doing some good. Yeah, I agree with that organization. And I would say some type of leadership because I know like back in the days when they had the NAACP, the SCLC, and um, things like that, they had different leaders in different states to, you know, basically lead them and guide them. But I don't know how that would work today because I feel like a lot of people are stubborn and headstrong, but I feel like it needs to be, well, like Norrell said, of course, organization in a way where everybody can speak their opinions and their concerns and everybody is heard. So then we can collectively figure out what the problem is, how we want it to be solved, how we're going to move collectively as a group. So then things can change and things can evolve. Yes. Say that we definitely need to have that. Just being able to have every group that is represented under each umbrella because we can't do anything divided. And if we can't see where some of our issues intersect, then we are going to spend centuries trying to solve issues that 
could have been resolved a long time ago for things that are completely obvious to some people, but others feel like someone else's liberation or freedom to choose is their own oppression, even though it has nothing to do with them or their skin color, their bodies, anything like that. Uh, I wanted to ask the question of whether or not there are any movements that either the two that either of the two of you feel that you are strongly connected to or opposed to even. Um, there's there's a movement or organization I've been following in Detroit that I really uh enjoy them or admire them for certain things, and I really think they can take it to the next level. Uh, they're definitely branching out. They're called uh, New Era Detroit, and it's a bunch of people from the communities, and they're really, like, doing things in the communities. Um, when the Flint water crisis hit, they were, you know, collecting truckloads of water and driving it up to Flint, and that was like a regular thing. They're cleaning up the communities. Um, they're going to some of the dilapidated communities and, like, just really just picking up trash, those types of things, like, they're their feet are on the ground in the communities that they want to impact, and they're organized. You know, they have a leader, and uh, they have people doing things that are really working towards their goals, and I believe that's just turn around the communities. Um, when there's any type of crime or anything like that, you know, they're putting a word out to say, hey, we need to find who did this, you know, uh, or they need to turn themselves in, those types of things, you know, and they're, they're really, you know, fighting for what's right and, and pushing their agenda in Detroit. Um there are some things I think they can grow in, and this isn't, you know, it's, if anything, it would be constructive criticism, but not to say that they're, they have to be politically correct, but I think it's uh, culturally, you know, it would turn a lot of people off, even though they're doing a lot of good things, just the way they communicate, like a lot of the cursing and, you know, the way that they're, you know, attacking certain things with anger, you know, if they really want to start mm-hmm. addressing some of the bigger issues in Detroit, like really impacting the legislation, you got to kind of get a little bit polished to be able to get a seat at those tables. And I think that's important. Not to say they don't have that, but that's something that I don't see on their social media presence. But, you know, they're doing great things. Now I got a lot of respect for those people for sure. I like that. Um, For me, I'm not going to lie and say that I've just been a part of a movement when Black Lives Matter first started, you know, I did do my research on it to see what it was all about. And I was, you know, making my post, like, when things were happening towards Black people's, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and hashtag and doing all of that. But I'm not going to say I specifically just belong to a movement. Um, I mean, I want mm-hmm. to, and I want to get more involved, definitely. But like we were talking about, I feel like stuff has to be more organized for me and I actually have to have, like, a purpose and has to actually be going on for, like, a minute, not just we're going to start it and then we're stopping it, like, after a month or two. So that's why mm-hmm. I haven't really been so much in, involved with things like that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, like I said earlier, I'm just now kind of putting my hand in and trying to get familiar with what these types of environments even look like within my own community. And it was really only because 
I wanted to set a goal for myself of networking and learning about some of these community issues so that, you know, I could just be more informed as a citizen and know my rights, know what's going to happen, know what's happening with the schools and everything here. And for the first time, I went to last night a – um, we had a board meeting for our school district here in Little Rock, and I've seen the flyers that they sent out every every time something new comes out within the school district, which right now is under, I want to say, state control. They took away local control from our school district, and our community has been fighting to get it back for the past five years because they haven't made any improvements, and they keep setting impossible standards for our schools to meet so that they can resume control over schools of color in Little Rock, who they say have failing grades, who they also have cut funding for and resources for and haven't provided teachers or administration with any of the things that they need for those schools to be successful. But anyway... They had a meeting in regards to what the future of the school district is going to look like. And I hate public events. I am a true introvert. It sucks the life out of me to be in a room full of people that have a lot of energy. And that's not really who I have been, but it's who I'm trying to become because I know that's going to be a part of my life. And just being there and seeing the energy that they had and seeing how, as a community, they stuck together and came up with a list of demands that they wanted the school board to hear that were very concrete demands, very reasonable demands that the community sat together in a meeting and decided on while the board members, like, left to go have their own separate meeting. So the hundreds of people gathered together for a purpose and, like, that was one of my first times ever being in that type of environment and to see just how 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 there was organization amongst all the chaos because there was lots of tension there, lots of anger, lots of yelling. But when it came time to make those demands and figure out what are the things that we need for our school district to be successful, it was just amazing what all those angry people were able to do and I don't know it was just it was a really good experience and I'm glad now that I'm taking the time to try to be a part of these things because I didn't I didn't even know that there could be organizations like that amongst people who have so much passion surrounding these events and so I know that was a long story but <laughs> it was a it was a really interesting experience for me as a parent because my my child is affected by what's going on. But yeah, it was definitely it can definitely be order amongst the chaos and I can see how these groups can, you know, work together to be cohesive and actually make that plan. And now we're going to head to a quick break. And we will get back to you shortly. But before we go, I want to give out that call-in number 
for any of our listeners who want to call in and talk about any local movements going on in their communities or any movements that they may identify with or disagree with. And that number is 563-999-3660. And we'll get back to you in a few. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag one million strong. The CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are a strong advocate for life empowerment, like empowering a generation that has been grossly misunderstood and disparaged to shatter the misconceptions about them. No Sleep was created to give millennials a platform to express themselves and let the world know who they really are and what they believe, their values, interests, fears, and more. This is a diverse group gender-wise and racially that we are very, very proud of. We invite you to tune in, whether you are a millennial or not, and learn from these outstanding young people. Listen every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 7 o'clock p.m. Central for No Sleep, Shattering Millennial Misconceptions. Born on 9/11, September 11, 2009. 3:39 in the morning. 3 in the morning. My name is Hillary. I was born, I think, somewhere around 2 o'clock in the afternoon on September 11, 2001, in Norwalk Hospital. I know a lot of people who go to my school and lost their parents or other family members in 9/11. I would hope people can realize how much the world has grown, how things can transform. I like looking for the best in things. If we all do good deeds on 9-11, it'll add up. Doing something good makes me realize I have the power to change things and that there's really nothing stopping me. It's sort of become a part of who I am. I was born on 9-11. This 9-11 day, Remember to do one good deed. I remember a real sense of community. People just were taking care of each other. Everybody was pitching in. It was an extraordinary moment of connectedness. I remember the ashes coming down from the sky, just like um, snow. People were calling me and telling me to turn on the television. I remember being in boot camp, not knowing what was going to happen. I remember people reaching out. Sharing food sharing thoughts, sharing their time, their talent. It wasn't just a New York thing. It was our family that's kind of been hurt. We just all banded together. It didn't matter who you are or what you came from. You just wanted to do something. That's what I remember. On this September 11th, I will remember by giving blood at a blood bank. I will raise awareness for our disabled veterans. I will go to a policeman or a fireman and say thank you. 
I will be a better neighbor. I will volunteer at the rec center. I will volunteer at my church. I will help somebody build a house. I will find a way to help someone become more literate. Help children with autism. Donate clothes. Kissed by wife. Do my toys. Plant a tree. Send care packages to church overseas. I will. I will. I will. I will always remember. If we share our love and our time, we can make a difference. What will you do this September 11th? Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Welcome back to No Sleep. We are here tonight talking about social movements in the United States, both past and present. And I want to give out that number again for any of our listeners to call in and talk about anything that comes to mind. That number is 563-999-3660. Before we left, we talked about some of the things that we see in our local community happening or some of the things that we admired about past social movements that we are all familiar with. But now I want to get into some of the controversies that were caused by social movements because it seems that for every movement, for progress, there was a rival movement that was, you know, anti-progress or viewed as traditionalist or conservative. So, for instance, Yes, we had abolitionist abolitionist movement going on at a point, but during that same time, we also had people who were very pro-slavery and didn't believe that the government should play a part in or play a role in deciding whether or not individuals should be able to hold slaves. And when we had when we had the civil rights movement, and when slaves became free, we had the KKK, which could also be considered a social movement because it's a, a group of organized people surrounding this one goal that they're trying to achieve. And even if you look today at the spread of white nationalism, you can still see how that's a group of people organizing around one goal, which is to preserve what they view as the perfect America. And so all of these forms of resistance are social movements as well. What do you think about that in relation to what we have just described about the positive things in social movements. I think it really stifles progress. It's, it's funny that you brought up, you know, civil rights movement and, you know, kind of a counter movement would be the segregationists uh, during that time. I was listening to a podcast, um, you know, it's basically talking about the relationship 
between uh, Les Dramatics, who was uh, a governor uh, of Georgia during the civil rights time. He was what you would call a segregationist. And he got elected or got his his, uh, position as governor uh, because he wouldn't let black people eat in his restaurant. And he kind of like went viral for it, I guess, as viral as you can go back in that time frame because there were so many people that were just, you know, against um, integration and all those types of things. And, you know, kind of he was like really standing by, you know, the segregationist theories. And uh, Georgia got behind him and uh, he was elected governor. He didn't run for anything else prior to that. Well, he did run for mayor and lost like three or four times, but then got elected, you know, to be the governor. And that was just so crazy to me that something, you know, so negative. It's, there's so many people mm-hmm. behind that, you know, and, and you can really get these types of high power positions and be able to really do some bad things just based off of, you know, something so so wicked. Um, I think a lot of that is so, you know, synonymous with Donald Trump, um, this whole make America greater thing, uh, great thing. So great again thing, sorry. I actually want America to be great. I want America to live its best life in so many ways. But <laughs> my whole thing is, why is there so much negativity behind those words? You know, it's it's mm. based off of racism and a lot of bigots are coming out of their woodworks and supporting this Make America Great Again thing like it's something good. And it's not because a lot of bad people are, are backing it. And I really feel like that's, you know, kind of how he got elected off of, like, exploiting that negativity. And it was crazy because when I heard about that story with Lester Maddox, it was like, dude, that was like Donald Trump, you know, like 60 years ago. It's crazy. Um, yeah, like yeah, you that... said too, Andrea. <laughs> um, you know, the negativity I think of, you know, the KKK, the white supremacist groups, um, make a great, make America great again. Like it should have been a positive thing, but because you know Trump is Trump, you know he made it and turned it into uh, basically let's make America white again. Which it, of course we know it wasn't in the first place, but that's how you know he took it. So that's how you know the white supremacists and everybody else started taking it, which made it negative. So. Yeah, Norvell, I'm glad you brought up how the there is violence or anger behind their reaction to progress, how even the mention of things can cause tension, such as like the Black Lives Matter movement, for instance. And um, that Michael Chase Sander, he, he, he came up with, like a, a said about how no one said that nobody else's life didn't matter. We just said that we mattered. <laughs> that's that's the only thing that we said. And there's so much there was so much outrage behind even the phrase Black Lives Matter that they had to come out with but all lives matter or blue lives matter or just all these counter arguments to a group of people just saying that they mattered. And I'm always just so confused by why pride for people of color can be so offensive to people who don't, for whatever reason, don't want to see them have that. 
that's always really confused me. I don't I don't understand why, especially in instances where it's not about race, if if it's really not about race, then why does a phrase about one group's pride or one group's liberation cause so much anger and just the need to retaliate against something like like you both said is supposed to be so positive. Yes, yeah, like and, why can't those things oh, like wow. they're not mutually exclusive? Like all lives mm-hmm. matter and black lives can matter at the same time. <laughs> why are you trying to <laughs> fight, you know, because we're fighting for rights, you know, that doesn't mean that your life doesn't matter because I say black lives matter. The same thing happened with the civil rights movement. Like I was listening to uh I guess this old, it was something like the Tonight Show, like back in the 60s or something, a guy named Dick Cavett. I learned all this today on this podcast, I promise you. But it was like so fascinating. <laughs> um, and it was with Lester Maddox and Jim Brown, a famous football player. I was on the show with him, a mm. uh, black man, a huge black man. Um, and, you know, he was sitting next to Lester Maddox and getting interviewed. And he said the thing that really needs to happen is, you know, uh, economic liberation of black people and like lester just jumped in and cut him off it's like why can't we have you know economic liberation for everybody what about white people and it's like bro like mm-hmm. that's been going on for you like what do you mean like you know like let's finish <laughs> what i'm saying and it's like there's always like you you feel like your territory is being encroached upon because i'm fighting for my rights you know like these things mm-hmm. you know they're not mutually exclusive both of them can happen at the same time just because i'm saying black lives matter doesn't mean that your life doesn't matter if you're not black you know it makes no sense. And I think that's the big thing that people need to understand. That's the thing that puzzles me the most. Um, one thing that I wanted to know if you two thought fed into that was the media portrayal of these movements. Because dating back to... We can even just say as recent as the the Black Panthers or even Black Lives Matter. When these movements from people of color have been shown, it's usually shown in a light where only the violence is amplified for the world to see, as if that's what the whole movement is about. I read... um, the book written by one of the people who founded Black Lives Matter. It's called When They Call You Terrorist or When They Call You a Terrorist or something like that. And oh, I forgot I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> oh, she was she was just saying how um just because they were a black group, they were immediately targeted because they were seeking their own liberation or trying to uplift their own community. And it just blows my mind how even the media aids in showing or trying to highlight the bad parts of a group or like segments of a group, because sometimes even in the past, they would stage like, I don't know, send people out into the community to cause destruction so that it would look like it was a part of their group who did that. 
just to try to, you know, shed a bad light on, like we said, something that's supposed to be so positive. And so, for instance, what when you think of Black Panthers or when I know when a lot of people who are not of color have spoken about the Black Panther Party, it was always just about how militant they were, but it was never about the things that they were providing to the community. And I don't know, the message just often gets skewed when it is communities of color, whether it's immigrant communities trying to fight for their rights or whoever is trying to, you know, push for something better. If it's not what is currently the status quo, the media has a way of portraying them as the villain in all of this. And do either of you share that perspective or how do you feel the media helps to highlight some of these movements? I think it's exactly how you put it, Sandra. And, and I think it's, it's based off of fear. If you just think of the Black Panthers, like you were saying, you know, people were highlighting how militant they were, but they were like having breakfast programs, you know, they were feeding children before they go to school, you know, those types of things. Mm-hmm. That was like the larger part of their movement. It wasn't all about, you know, toting guns in public, but, you know, the media tried to portray them as these type type of uh, terrorists and that they, you know, want to hurt somebody. And that's definitely not the case. I think it's, I think people have guilty consciences. I, I think because they have mm-hmm. a guilty conscience, they feel like, you know, black people, which is uh, people that have been wronged in this country, if they even look like they're being militant or anything, it's they're going to hurt somebody because they they might mm-hmm. have a right to, which isn't true. But I think it's they're operating from that, that mode of fear that, oh, man, if, you know, black people really want to do something or start a race war, it might be kind of justified. They weren't changed for 100 years, you know, those types of things. And, you know, civil rights, we were lynching them and, you know, killing them, those types of things. So I feel like people are really operating from a a fear standpoint and really not looking at the good things, you know, that are going on with some of these movements and, and the media just, you know, eats it up. They're doing whatever they can for ratings. And it's almost like sheep mentality. People aren't really doing the mm-hmm. research or really thinking for themselves. They're just taking everything at face value. And, you know, the media knows that and they exploit, they exploit it. So that's pretty much the issue. I don't even watch the news at all. Because I, I really can't believe it. It's like, how much of this is true? You know, I really like mm-hmm. to fact check. And when I fact check things that I hear on the news, it's like, I mean, the smallest piece of information, they make an entire, you know, story out of it or an entire article. And none of it is true. They just kind of like go off of the tiniest piece of information. But now the the public thinks that it's something that it's not. I think it's just sheep mentality. People it's easy for somebody to tell you something and for you to believe it because you saw it on television or saw it on social media. Um, I'm a huge advocate of, you know, people do your research. I hate when people share things on social media, don't really look into it. And then they realize mm-hmm. it's not what they thought it was. And then they look stupid. And it's like, come on, mm-hmm. you know, like, just do your research. You guys are like, have like that sheep mentality, just following each other instead of like really, you know, using your brain and doing some research, you know, trust, but verify I can't speak on that enough. Like, seriously, it grinds my gears. 
Um, I want to say first, I think it is so interesting that you mentioned that book because I have to get that for my class. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but I have to get it and read it. But um, I agree with Norville. Like, social media, it can go both ways. But from going back to the Black Panther Party, like, they did portray them, you know, in a bad light, which – but they did a whole lot of things for the community that they didn't depict or they didn't show. Just like with the NAACP and the ACLC, you know, they wanted to show, like, when they got rowdy or when, you know, the protests and sit-ins mm-hmm. and marches and all that. But they didn't want to show, like, the positive side of them, you know, having different programs, helping out college students, you know, mentoring people and everything like that. They only wanted to show the bad things, which, like Norvell was saying again, too, it's kind of like, it kind of goes back to researching because a lot of people, they just see what they want to see and they hear what they want to hear, but they don't want to go research for themselves to really be like, oh, well, this is not really true. This is not really going on. So maybe I shouldn't join this movement or maybe I shouldn't, you know, do this or say this, you know, so. Yeah, I'm definitely with both of you on there. And (laughs) one of my pet peeves is, when people share things without checking the date and then they don't let anyone know that the thing that they're sharing is some like six, seven years ago. And now people are all upset thinking that this horrific event happened that day when this was something that they should have focused on years prior to that. Yeah, that's the worst. um, yeah, I don't understand it. It's like, just that's the least you could do is just look at the date. <laughs> like, people refuse to read. Like, just read a little bit. You know? <laughs> it's not that hard, you know? It's just, that's why I think. Social media is like rotten people's brains, man. I, I, I know that's kind of off topic. That's that's an entire, entirely different topic, but I feel like. No, it's true. It's true, though. And it's, and it's like literally. People have the resources. They just don't want to go and get it for themselves, just being lazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. There's people that are, like, social media smart. Like, you know, everything everybody's <laughs> saying on Internet, on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that type of stuff. But, like, stuff that matters you know nothing about. And it's crazy to me. Like, I have to cut back, you know. Like, if I'm on social media too long, like, you can start scrolling, think 30 seconds past, and it's been like 15 minutes. Like, dude, what am I doing with my life? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm definitely guilty of that. I spend entirely too much <laughs> of my life just aimlessly scrolling social media and listening to random stand-up comedians when their videos pop up. And I need to do better. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs but we're to gonna go. Life, so. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's a little joy that I can get. <laughs> but we're gonna go to another quick break, and I want to give out that number again for any of our listeners to call in. It is five six three nine 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 three six six zero, and we'll be back shortly. listening to the C 
EWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Hey, listen, I'm Steve Harvey. As we approach the anniversary of 9-11, I hope you'll join me and millions of others around the world who will be paying tribute this 9-11 by dedicating time to performing good deeds that help others in need for 9-11. I'll be supporting my charity, the Stephen Marjorie Harvey Foundation, and its continuing work to help foster excellence in urban and ethnically diverse communities. What will you do for 9-11 this year? Visit 911day.org today. Day actually started in 2002, soon after the attacks on our nation. Eventually it became the nation's largest annual day of charitable engagement. In the immediate aftermath of the attacks, what was so remarkable to me was the way the country came together in this incredible spirit of unity where everybody was helping each other. Tens of millions of people marked the day by doing good deeds in honor of those who perished and those who rose in service, but also as a positive path forward. Today we're aboard the Intrepid on the Hudson River in New York City, but we're also expanding this year into Phoenix, L.A., and San Francisco. And so all told, we'll pack 1.7 million meals for Food Challenge people in those four markets, and that'll be done by more than 8,000 volunteers. So it's a really remarkable sort of melting pot of volunteers that are here to demonstrate the importance of togetherness. We're pushing back against those who really attacked our way of life. Ultimately, our objective is to take this day of evil, 9-11, and turn it into a day of good and encourage people to remember 9-11 every year by doing good deeds that help others in need. We encourage people all the time to make their first stop our website, 911day.org. You can find volunteer opportunities in your own community and lots of other resources. There's just so many sort of little good deeds that we want people to do, and that's how we think you change the world one good deed at a time. Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Welcome back to No Sleep. We are still here talking about millennials and social movements. And before we kind of start wrapping up, I wanted to take a look at some controversial movements that we currently have. We have issues within this country that we are really divided on, and moving forward, it's mainly going to affect people of our generation and those who are to come after us. 
And some of the things that people have been pushing for are things like abolishing the prison system because it they believe that it's not working and that it's not an effective system of rehabilitation, nor does it really do justice to victims of crime to just have someone put away. There are, or there is the Abolish ICE movement. People don't believe that someone should have the authority to search for these human beings who just want to live and have a good life and just, you know, detain and deport them back to these life-threatening situations. There is the movement for women's reproductive rights, where women want access to whatever type of birth control or reproductive services that they may choose because they feel that it is their bodies and the rules that are being imposed upon women by men who are far their senior not only that, but they're men and would never have to experience what women have to go through when it comes to their reproductive health. They feel that they should not get to rule what's done to their bodies. And so these are some examples of some of the controversial issues that we have going on in our country. And if you could just take a couple of minutes to talk about maybe how you feel about some of these things. Like I, I come from like a perspective. It's, it's almost like middle ground. It's almost like coexisting. So like with, uh, you said like the, the movements about women's reproductive systems and abortion and birth control, those types of things. Birth control is one thing. Um, Abortion is another thing for me. Like, I just, I don't believe in abortion. Uh, you know, I feel like if you, you know, are grown enough to bring that child into the world, then, you know, that child should have a chance, you know. And I know that's not for every situation. You know, some women are raped, you know, when a child comes for, comes forth from that. And I know that's a totally different perspective. But at the same time, I feel like nobody should be able to tell you how to make that decision. That's nobody's place, you know, to tell you how to, you know, do your business. Um, and, and I think that's kind of like preposterous that people want to, you know, kind of like regulate that. It's crazy. Um, think about like the LGBTQ and, you know, the community. I know it's like a few other letters after that. But, you know, I'm, I don't necessarily, I'm not, you know, homosexual or queer or anything, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't coexist and I don't have a problem with you know, that community fighting for their rights. I mean, I necessarily agree with it, but, you know, I'm like, hey, do your thing, you know. You're not doing anything wrong uh, in my eyes to me personally. We can I, we can agree to disagree at the same time, you know. I'm more so fighting for everybody's civil rights, you know. We all should be able mm. to just have those civil liberties um, as just human beings. And I feel like a lot of people don't get that. And I feel like that's why a lot of these movements were started. Like, just like how, you know, minorities and black people were, you know, uh, segregated 
and, and we were, you know, in chains. And uh, a lot of the social movement started from that, you know, from slavery. And I think the LGBTQ community, a lot of that stuff started from, you know, them being oppressed, you know, just getting beat up for being gay, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not right. And uh, I think a lot of these uh, social movements are doing good things. People may not agree with some of the things that you're fighting for, but that doesn't mean that you can't coexist. And I think that's what a lot of people really need to start to realize. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my two cents. I'm, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> um. So with the reproductive one, I really feel like a man honestly shouldn't be making these rules and these laws when it comes to women because like you were saying, like you don't understand our bodies fully for you to be telling us, you know, what we should take or if we should or should not get an abortion and stuff like that. But I agree with Nova too. Like I'm all for human rights and I'm all for inclusion and people feeling like they belong or they're included with um, the LGBTQ community. You know what I'm saying? Um, over time, a lot of people weren't feeling like they're included. So, you know, it got bigger and it grew. So I'm all for that. I'm with the two of you, and especially you, Nakiana, on women's reproductive rights. I mean, it's crazy to me that a group of men just get to decide what women can and can't do with their bodies. I mean, some of these bans that they have on abortions are just insane when some women or they have rules saying that you can't get an abortion after six weeks when many women don't find out they're pregnant until six weeks or after. And I feel like as pro-life as some people can be when it comes to the lives of children in cages, they don't have that same energy. When it comes to the lives of maybe kids growing up in the hood, they don't have that same energy because they're not going to provide for the needs of those children. They're not going to make sure that the economy changes so that parents are able to support their children or the healthcare changes so that that's not an expense that we have to have in order to raise children. They're not going to try to make education better. So I just, there, there is a faction of pro-lifers that I just want to know, like, what kind of life are you for? Because some of these kids are growing up in struggling situations, and you're not for the betterment of their lives, but you want them to be here regardless. But anyway, (laughs) before we go, I just wanted to mention again that our listeners should be on the lookout for information on our Millennial Town Hall that we're going to do virtually, and we'll have a date for that later on. If you would like to give input on that, please visit our No Sleep LinkedIn group. And we also will have a 9-11 special featuring John Enright, who was a previous guest and gave us a topic and a talk on 9-11 and its impact. So be be on the lookout for that. And... Until next time.